This evening we're looking at Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through to chapter 12, verse 8. The call of Abraham. The call of Abraham. We'll consider the call of Abraham by the Lord and the promise of the Lord to Abraham that in him shall all families of the earth be blessed. Great promise that was given to Abraham, tremendous promise with far-reaching implications. That promise is recorded in chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Let's have a look at that again there. Verses 2 and 3 in chapter 12. The promise of God to Abraham. And I will make of thee a great nation... And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. You may have noticed when I was reading it earlier on, for example in verse 1 there of chapter 12, Abraham's name was originally Abraham when he received the promise. However, it was changed to Abraham 15 years later. That can be seen in chapter 17, verse 4 and 5, where the Lord reiterated his promise and said to him, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, And thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abraham, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Abraham means father of a great multitude. It was also at that time that his wife's name was changed from Sarai to Sarah. Sarah means princess. When Abraham, Abraham as he was, received the promise of God, he was 70 years old. And, um, and then by the time his name was changed to Abraham, he's 70, uh, 85 years old. The promise of blessing to all families of the earth that was first given to Abraham in, here in Genesis chapter 12, and verse 3, and repeated in chapter 17, what I've just read to you, when his name was changed, that same promise can also be found elsewhere. For example, chapter 22, verse 17 and 18, where the Lord said to Abraham, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. That's in chapter 22. And in chapter 26 and verse 4, the Lord said to Abraham, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, And will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. 
putting together those various references concerning the promise of God to Abraham. And we see that the Lord said to him, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. A father of many nations have I made thee. In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. And in thy seed shall all the earth be blessed. All the nations of the earth be blessed. A promise of blessings to all nations of the earth. All families of the earth. That's a promise that is far reaching. It's a promise that is immense. And that is because it is a gospel promise. It is a promise of spiritual blessings to people across the entire world through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That same promise is still in force today, about 4,000 years after it was first given to Abraham. And it will only be fulfilled when finally the very last person to be called with a holy and effectual call by God and drawn to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as a repentant sinner, trusting in Jesus for forgiveness. When, when that very last person is called and receives Jesus, then we can say that the, the promise of God will finally reach its fulfilment. When that last person is brought out of darkness out of the devil's dark domain and transferred into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus. You may have noticed that the promise of blessing for all nations of the earth is in Abraham and his seed. What is this about, this seed business? Uh, Most of those references speak of, I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and in Thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. We get an explanation in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul speaking as he was directed and inspired by God the Holy Spirit declared the Lord Jesus Christ to be the seed of Abraham when he said, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, as of many, but but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Then in verse 28 and verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul went on to say, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. We're Abraham's seed if we are in Christ, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is declared by Paul, speaking by inspiration of God. Jesus is the seed of Abraham according to his humanity. With regards to his humanity, 
the incarnate Son of God is the seed of Abraham in, in that the tribes of Israel, one of which was Judah, came from the loins of Abraham. Judah, as well as all the other tribes, they came from the loins of Abraham. They were descendants of Abraham. And according to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We learn in the, in the New Testament that according to his humanity, he is of the house of David, King David, who is of the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> As for all the families of the earth being blessed, that doesn't mean every single family without exception in the whole world being spiritually and everlastingly blessed. But it most certainly does mean people from every nation, kindred, people, tongue, coming to saving faith in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ, and receiving all spiritual blessings in heavenly places through faith in Jesus, the seed of Abraham. People across the world coming to faith in Christ. And there, that's what we see in chapter 12 and verse 3. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Every tribe, every nation, every kindred, every tongue. Together, these people make up one holy nation. From all the nations of the world, they make up one holy nation a royal priesthood, and even whilst they are still in the world, their citizen is their citizenship is in heaven. Uh, if you're a Christian in here now, you know that for yourself, don't you? you the, the Holy Spirit would testify with your spirit that your citizenship is in heaven. Never mind the fact that you're English or Manx or whatever it is, your citizenship is in heaven. And who do you owe allegiance to, first and foremost? King Jesus, yeah? Without a shadow of a doubt. Because, although you're in this world, you're not of this world. You are a citizen of a holy nation, having trusted in the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus In Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, Abraham is referred to as the father of all them that believe. We'll now spend a bit of time seeing what we can learn from our passage in Genesis about father Abraham. Not Abram, not Abraham, but father Abraham. Let's see what we can learn about him here. For one thing, looking at chapter 11, verse 27 and 28... Let's have a look at those two verses again. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. So we see that Abram, or Abraham, his father's name was Terah, he had two brothers, Nahor and Haran, 
his land of nativity, his birthplace was Ur of the Chaldees, which was in the region of Mesopotamia, which is in modern-day Iraq. Also, in Mesopotamia was another place. We looked at that last time we studied Genesis. Uh, Shinar, where according to chapter 11 and verse 4, the people said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top unto heaven. Yeah, the Tower of Babel. We looked at that last time. It's all in that same region in Mesopotamia. Modern day Iraq. What did we see last time? They built what would be one of many sky high temples of idolatry called ziggurats in which they believed their gods uh, occupied the top floor of the temple. This, the skyscraper temples that they built. And there were many of them. There are still some ruins about, um, but it's, re- it's, the, the, the historians show, tell us that they, that these ziggurats were all over the place in that region. With that information, perhaps unsurprisingly, when you think about it, that, um, Abraham came from, um, Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia, where we see that the Tower of Babel wasn't, was in that same region and so on. We see in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2 that Abraham's father Terah was an idolater. That should give you some idea of Abraham's background. He came from a land of idolatry. His father served idols and most likely so did he. The point I'm making is that Abraham's pedigree was certainly nothing special. God did not choose Abraham because he was wonderful and he was very special and he was above everybody else. That was not the case. There was nothing to commend him to the Lord, yet the Lord blessed him and made him the father of all them that believe. In fact, in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 3, The Lord said, I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood. God took him. He didn't come. God took him from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan. As such, the Lord graciously apprehended Abraham, having chosen him, not one one of his two brothers, chose Abraham. He didn't choose anyone else. God specifically chose Abraham. The Lord took Abraham over the river Euphrates, away from his idolatrous homeland and away from his idolatrous family and he brought him to a knowledge of the only true God and the Christ who would spring from him, his seed and the blessings that would reach all the families of the earth. As the Puritan John Arrowsmith rightly said, in whatsoever dunghill God's jewels are hid, election will both find them out and fetch them out. The dunghill that Abraham was brought out of was Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia. 
And it's something that applies equally to all who are heirs of God according to the promise given to Abraham through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that if you're a Christian, someone who now has everlasting life, someone who knows God as your Father, your loving Heavenly Father, having had all your sins forgiven by your Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not because of anything meritorious in you or about you. Quite simply, God chose you for salvation before the foundation of the world, having loved you with an everlasting love. And all glory belongs to God. As, we, as, we're, as we're told in, um, in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, By grace are ye saved, through faith. This not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. No boasting in heaven about how wonderful you were and how God just had to save you because you were so great. There'd be nothing of the sort. It's all about the grace of God. I like what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian Christians. It's very appropriate and it's very relevant to what we're considering this evening. He said, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God have chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. People like us, the foolish of the world to confound the wise. And God have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised, God have chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. What you're going to hear now basically is that Jesus is your everything. Listen to this lot. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Jesus is your wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If God has set your feet upon the rock whose name is Jesus, having brought you up out of a horrible pit of sin and having delivered you from hell's destruction, you will be only too aware that you are what you are, a child of God by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and again to God be the glory now and forevermore. Certainly that was the case with Abraham, the father of the faithful, Abraham. And it is with us who belong to Jesus. Abraham was delivered out of idolatry, but what about you, dear Christian? Maybe you were delivered out of idolatry as well. After all, there's plenty of it about, isn't there? Such as valuing 
the, the following things greater than God. This is what idolatry is. When you put things, anything else above God in your affections, such as money, house, family, holidays, career, pop stars, or pop idols, sports stars, sports idols, or perhaps you've been delivered from some other evil, especially if you were an adult when God called you and drew you to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. After all, as Paul said to the believers in Corinth, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. This is Paul speaking to Christians here. And he said, Neither fornicators, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. That's a reference to homosexuality. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this now. He then went on to say, and such were some of you. You were. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Again, you can see that God does not call people because they are so wonderful. Such were some of you. The list of sins there were pretty awful, aren't they? Such were some of you. Maybe your sin wasn't in that list, I don't know. But that that list wasn't exhaustive. There are many, many more sins. And I'm sure you have your own special, your, your brand of sin that you excel in, if it's not on that list. Such were some of you. Of course, as a Christian, it's not something that um, characterises your life now. And thank God for that. Because you are washed, you are sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And the Holy Spirit continuously and progressively sanctifying you, moulding you, shaping you, making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, that, I trust that is your prayer. I know that is my prayer. This isn't a boast. If I can't think of anything else to pray uh, when I'm up and about in the morning, it is my prayer that, the, that God would make me more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's reasonable to want that and, and, and to have a, 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 a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and an abhorrence for sin, especially the sin that is within. As has already been pointed out, when God called Abraham, he left his family and his home. Also, he didn't even know where he was going. Look at um, chapter 12 and verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. A land that I will show thee. That's not really giving much away at the time, is it? Straight away, Abraham 
was tr- had to trust in the Lord who was leading him to a place that he would show him. Admittedly, not everyone who is a Christian will ever be called to do anything that involves forsaking as much as Abraham did. Forsaking family, home, everything basically. Pretty much everything. Even so, a heart that is touched by grace and filled with thanksgiving towards a holy and righteous God for so great a deliverance from sin, judgment and damnation in hellfire is a heart that is inevitably, there is inevitably in that heart a whole new set of priorities, values, affections. Just look at Abraham's priorities. Look at verse 8 in chapter 12. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. I don't know how long it would take to pitch a tent. Probably not that long. Having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. He pitched a tent for himself, but he built an altar unto the Lord. I'd say that Abraham had his priorities right there. How different that is to a world in which people build empires for themselves and they give their maker not even a thought. The Jews were just as bad. For example, we're told in the book of Haggai that they built houses for themselves whilst the temple lay in ruins. But we see Abraham here pitched a tent for himself and built an altar unto the Lord to worship God. Where is the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of God in your priorities, in my priorities? There's no doubt about it, the change in Abraham after his call was a radical change. Truly radical. As a man of faith, he looked for a city which have foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, as a pilgrim and stranger in the world, Abraham was looking onwards and upwards to the heavenly Jerusalem. As a Christian, your desires, your ambitions, your priorities, the things you value and love and the things that you hate should all be radically different to what they once were. After all, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's you if you are born-again Christian, a new creature in Christ. As we come to a close, don't let the promise that the Lord gave to Abraham and his seed 4,000 years ago pass you by. I say that because even in the churches, I find this quite astonishing, even in the churches there are those who draw a circle around the nation of Israel not just Israel of old, but even modern day secular Israel, they draw a big circle around Israel and see that nation as the fulfilment of the promise that was given to Abraham. 
perhaps where the Lord said to Abraham, and I will make of thee a great nation, we see that in verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation, they see that great nation as Israel, the nation of Israel. After all, the Israelites of old were descendants of Abraham, and undoubtedly they were greatly blessed They were highly favoured by God in that they were chosen and adopted by God in a way that no ever nation, no other nation ever was. They were truly blessed by God. He brought the nation of Israel, the Lord brought them out of slavery in Egypt and took them to the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey the land of Canaan. For all that, when it comes to Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, by and large, the Jews, they received him not, they rejected him, and finally they crucified him. Even so, in John chapter 8, certain Jews who rejected the seed of Abraham rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, they nevertheless imagined and they insisted to Jesus that God was their father and that Abraham was their father by virtue of the fact that they were Jews and therefore they were physical descendants of Abraham. However, Jesus said to them, Ye are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So don't draw a big circle around Israel and start exalting Israel. If you do that, you've completely misunderstood the promise that was delivered by God, given by God, to Abraham and to his seed, that all families of the earth will be blessed. You've missed it. With regards to the Israelites of old, that nation's election and adoption by God points to a spiritual reality, namely the adoption of the elect of God, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. They make up one holy nation, as I've already mentioned tonight. They're one holy nation called by God from all the families of the earth through faith in Abraham's seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, really, even if you don't understand a lot of what I'm saying tonight, one thing you ought to understand is that if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, if you reject him, You cannot expect to receive any blessings whatsoever from God. Spiritual blessings, everlasting blessings. That would not make any sense at all. What you can expect, however, is to have the the wrath of God abiding on you. I like what the hymn writer wrote. Elect from every nation, yet one or all the earth her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. One holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses, 
with every grace endured. I don't know if you've noticed whether you picked up on this. I only picked up on it towards the end of my prep uh, as I was preparing this sermon. This is the second time since we've started looking at the book of Genesis three months ago. We've been on Genesis for three months now. This is the second time that we've considered the Lord Jesus Christ as the seed. The first time, when was that? Chapter 3, verse 15. I'd almost forgotten all about that. After sin and death came into the world by one man, Adam, and God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was a gospel promise there. Uh, uh, to uh, it, that we see in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. On that occasion, Jesus was referred to as the seed of the woman, in that he was born of a woman. Of that verse, Spurgeon said, the seed of the woman, even our Lord Jesus, was bruised in his heel, and a terrible bruising it was. How terrible will be the final bruising of the serpent's head. This was virtually done when Jesus took away sin, vanquished death and broke the power of Satan. But it awaits a still fuller accomplishment at our Lord's second advent and in the day of judgment. So that's the first mention of Jesus as the seed, the seed of the woman who will bruise and crush the serpent's head. And that was largely achieved at Calvary when by his own death on the cross he destroyed the power of him who who had the power of death, that is the devil. This evening we considered the Lord Jesus Christ as Abraham's seed and we considered the spiritual blessings for all who are in him. They are people who truly believe that Jesus has redeemed them from captivity to sin, from Satan, from hell's destruction, and he has done so by taking upon himself the curse of God's broken law. He did so at the cross. So what does that tell you? You've got Jesus as the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, We've seen here tonight in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, that uh, we find that Jesus, and looking at it further, that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And it doesn't end there. As we've been going through Genesis, we, we were at, we looked at Noah's Ark, didn't we? When I read about Noah's Ark, and God shutting them in to the Ark. Isn't that a picture of Christ? being safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone else perished, except for those who were safe and secure, shut in by God. It's clear that the events in history, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, as and events in history as they unfold, continue to unfold, point to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his great work of redemption. So many 
So many signposts and arrows all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. As you, as you read through the Bible, as you read through, turn over the pages of history, it all points to Jesus and his great work of redemption for helpless and hopeless sinners like us. Therefore, there is nothing more important for you to do than to repent, to receive Jesus as your saviour from sin, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen.